Fantastic Mr. Fox, the book, is a story that most of us have not read. Fantastic Mr. Fox, the movie, is a movie I believe all of us should watch. Whether you are a fan of Wes Anderson or not. Why is that, though? What makes Fantastic Mr. Fox such a must-see film? What makes it unique? Hello again, my most excellent of friends. How is the wasteland treating you? Despite all our hardships and the challenges that we face, we are all still here, and the sun still shines and life is still good. May that never change. Most of the time I have some sort of memory, a unique event that cements a story, a movie, or an anime in my head and in my life. And the same can be said of Fantastic Mr. Fox. I cannot claim to have seen this movie when it came out in theaters. I cannot say that I was an earlier advocate of this movie, this story. The reality is that in my childhood, I was never really exposed to Roald Dahl, even though most of us saw at least one movie based on his works. For me, it was Matilda. I didn't know that Matilda was written by Roald Dahl, or that it was even a book. I thought it was just a movie about a precocious child who, by sheer luck, grows up in a family that doesn't really understand her, doesn't care to understand her. Because of this, she basically has to grow up rather quickly. She has to raise herself. Is that the worst way to describe that movie? Yes, it is. And yet, if you watch that movie, you'll find it's about so much more. And that seems to be the common thread with Dahl's stories. Often, there were tales that were written for children, but only fully understood by adults. Fantastic Mr. Fox is exactly this. A story that a child can watch and enjoy, but not one they can fully understand. Because it deals with notions and concepts he or she won't have to face until they are much older. In fact, this movie is one of those movies that I would recommend you actually watch at different stages in your life, because it will mean something different every time you do so. Allow me to explain. Fantastic Mr. Fox starts with Foxy and his wife Felicity enjoying their day together before they set off to go do some hunting. We are then treated to one of the best single-shot takes in cinematic history, made all the more amazing because it's stop-motion animation, and at the end of it all, Felicity breaks the news to Foxy that she's pregnant and that their lives are about to change. Having enjoyed the majority of their use as chicken thieves, they can no longer do this, and Felicity makes Foxy promise that he will seek out other means of employment, a promise he agrees to with some reservation. More on this later. It is then that the movie shifts to Foxy living in a hole with his wife Felicity and their son Ash, and it's at this moment that Foxy declares that he doesn't want to live in a hole anymore, that he wants more from his life. It's at this point of the movie that the plot truly begins to turn, and things start to happen. 
Before we continue, I feel the need to remind you guys and girls that spoilers are inbound. So the rest of the podcast is for those of you who have seen the movie and do not mind me talking about some of the finer points of it all. I know that I almost never hand out spoiler warnings, but in this case, I definitely felt the need to do so. If you haven't seen the movie but feel intrigued by what I've said so far, do yourself a favor and watch this movie. It's available to stream on Disney Plus and it's totally worth it. This is an official ABR recommendation. For real, it's not a good children's movie, it's a great movie altogether. One more thing. If you haven't seen this movie but feel the need to stay and listen to a grown man geek out about a children's movie, then yeah, you can also stick around. So, let's make a few observations. Before I go on though, can I just bring about your attention to the suit that Mr. Fox wears throughout most of the movie? Never in my lifetime will I ever look as fly and as sophisticated as this fox does in the first five minutes of the movie. It's a detail that I always notice, a mental note that I always make. I must aspire to look this good someday. Okay, with that out of the way, let's start with Foxy himself. Foxy and Felicity must have met when they were very young. We briefly see them in their youth, enjoying the scenic route of their hike and doing what foxes do by nature. And it's in this moment when Foxy's life has to change. When Foxy and Felicity get caught in a trap, she takes that final moment to tell Foxy that she's pregnant. And, and if they get out of this, they have to change. Foxy has to find another job and they have to raise this cub. Foxy agrees to it, but you can tell he's not fond of the idea. He likes who he is and who he does it with. And perhaps the notion of having a child wasn't something he had in mind this early in his life. He's happy that he's going to have a cub, but there's reservations, and that's understandable. We're minutes into the film, and we can already see the main conflict of this movie arise. Bagus, Buns, and Bean may be the villains, but the driving force of this movie is Foxy himself, and the notion that he has to be the quote-unquote fantastic Mr. Fox. He needs to prove that to himself, and he has to show everyone that he is still this person. This becomes apparent as the movie goes on. The next time we see Foxy, some time has gone by. He's a father, he has a family, and he is almost as old as his dad was when he passed away. He finds himself living in a hole, doing a job he doesn't like. In fact, he often wonders if anyone even reads his column in the newspaper. He then declares that he doesn't want to live in a hole anymore because it makes him feel poor. And I can sympathize with that. I think most of us can. The passage of time will grind you down. The days begin to blur with one another. And you often wonder what you became as time goes on and what specifically led you to this point. Fox's plight is altogether too real. It's very close to home to a lot of people. And that's what makes it so great. That's what makes him so easy to root for, even if his actions eventually place all the animals in danger. Foxy wishes to return to his younger days, to steal, to hunt, to be a wild animal once again. 
Against the advice of his lawyer, he buys a tree. And once there, he hatches a plan. A final heist. And he does it because he's bored. Once the tree is furnished and the family settle, he asks Kylie, the tree super, who am I? And you can hear the pain in his voice. The tree didn't bring him happiness. It doesn't make him feel any less poor. In fact, it might actually make him feel older. He doesn't have a need to steal chickens because he's poor or because he wants to support his family. He says he's poor, but he buys a tree on his salary alone. It's good real estate. It overlooks the whole valley. So I imagine it's not something cheap. Again, he doesn't have to do it. There's no need, but he does it anyway. Foxy's heist goes according to plan, mostly. And he feels the joy of being young again, the joy of being a wild animal. It goes well until it doesn't. If Fantastic Mr. Fox was a study of Foxy and only Foxy, it would still be a pretty good movie. What makes it a great movie is the fact that most of the characters have agency. Most of the main family starts at point A and finishes at point B. And I absolutely love when stories are that detailed, when the author puts that much work into characters that he or she created with love. While Foxy is dealing with his midlife crisis, you know, the loss of youth and identity, Ash is at the other end of the spectrum. His journey is just beginning, and he doesn't really know where he fits in just yet. Ash is different. He's not like his mother, there's no artistic inclinations in him, and he's not like his father. Ash is not an athlete, and he's painfully aware of that. He wants to be though, and more importantly, he wants his father to see him like one. Ash wears a cape, Ash likes superheroes. Ash wants his father's approval. Ash's journey is a story we all know, is a story that some of us lived. Again, it makes him easy to root for. Even if Ash is a bit inconsiderate at times, well, like a lot. Foxy's so preoccupied with who he was, who he is, and just grasping onto the embers of his past, that he can't see his son as an actual person. He loves Ash as his son, but he doesn't value the uniqueness that is Ash, and it's a little sad to see. It gets worse when we're introduced to Christopherson, Ash's cousin. He comes to live with the foxes when his dad catches pneumonia. Suddenly, Ash has a rival, if you can even call it that. Christopherson is a great diver. He practices meditation, martial arts, specifically karate. Even though he's never played whack-bat, he takes to it like a duck on a pond in another one of those very impressive long takes that the movie features. Their teacher even goes on to say that Christopherson reminds him a lot of Foxy, a remark that's not lost on Ash, who says that Christopherson is related to his mother, not his father. Christopherson is even popular with the ladies as he begins to go steady with Agnes. Agnes? Agnes? How do you say that? Anyway. She's Ash's laugh partner. In short, Christopherson is a natural, and Ash is not. When Foxy begins his heist, he takes Kylie as his accomplice, but refuses to take Ash. Not because he's worried about his son, but because Ash is little, clumsy, 
different. Foxy has no qualms in taking Christofferson on their heist. Again, this does not go unnoticed by Ash, as Christofferson gets a bandit hat, and he doesn't. Foxy even goes as far as to call Christofferson a natural, something that must have been painful for Ash to hear. Ash has all of this on his plate, so it's easy to see how little he cares for Christofferson, to the point that he spreads rumors about him and tries to belittle him whenever he gets a chance. And all of this hostility towards him is understandable, but ultimately unwarranted. Christofferson is not there because he wants to be. He's there because he has to be, because his father is sick and he's worried. He can't seem to get along with his cousin and he doesn't understand why, so the two argue a lot. When the two of them go to bed, the situation overwhelms him and Christofferson starts to cry. And in a moment of reflection, Ash does one of the nicest things in the movie and he turns on a toy train that he keeps in his room and this is enough to calm Christofferson down. Their relationship begins to improve, little by little. So what happens to Ash as Foxy's heist unfolds? Let's put a pin on that. Felicity is Foxy's wife, and she's the only weak point that this movie suffers from. And it's because she gets the least amount of character development as a whole. I wish it wasn't so, but that is the case. Her journey starts just like Foxy's. We see the both of them, briefly, during their youth, before she reveals to Foxy that she's pregnant. From there on, she's just a mom, she's just a wife, and she's the voice of reason in their household. There's nothing wrong with being a mom, or a wife, or having to be the voice of reason, but I feel that there are parts of her story we weren't privy to. If anything, they could have done a bit more with her character, because they definitely had the material to do so. Felicity also had to come to terms with the notion of getting old the concept of change, and she does it gracefully with seemingly no problem. Seemingly. She doesn't yearn for her past, doesn't try to relive her youth, or hold on to it like Foxy does. According to Rat, a character that appears briefly in the movie, she was the town tart, whatever that means. And she was very pretty, she was wild, she was different. And she had to change. She doesn't seem too sad about it though. The movie doesn't show her struggling to come to terms with that. If she did, she did so off screen. And that's a missed opportunity. Because it makes her feel like a static character. When we know that's not the case. There are hints of sadness in her though. She's an artist so she expresses her emotions through her work. And she paints landscapes. They're very detailed, very pretty, and they're full of thunderstorms. Now, I've never been the type of person to look for hidden meanings and themes in movies or stories as a whole. I accept most stories for what they are, for what the author clearly wants us to feel. I'm not the kind of person that interprets things in any way. I'm not going to say that Fantastic Mr. Fox is a social commentary on what life in England in the post-war era was like because, no, I'm not doing it. It's a children's story, it's a very heavy children's story, but just because that's what it is doesn't make it bad at all, it shouldn't rob it of its apparent qualities. Still, 
Maybe the thunderstorms do mean something. Maybe she's sad, and her surroundings remind her of that. And the thunderstorms are just her way of reveling a little bit against what her life has become. Maybe she does yearn for the past, but like I said, if that's the case, we just don't see that in her. Maybe she's written this way to establish some sort of foil for Foxy, that he too should behave in this manner, because that's what he's supposed to do. What do I know? I'm just grasping at straws here. I could be totally off and never know it. For those of you who have seen the movie, what do you think the thunderstorms mean? Because you know, I'm not really sure. What we do know is that she's not ignorant of Foxy's movements, but she believes in him. And it's only when Foxy goes overboard that she begins to suspect that something is amiss and that Foxy has broken his promise. He's gone back to stealing chickens and that fact saddens her. She catches Foxy and Kylie in bandit mask and threatens Foxy as he has brought about unwanted attention from the owners of the farms that he's robbed. And speaking of Bogus Bunsen Bean, Bogus Bunsen Bean are bumbling villains and the owners of the farm that Foxy decides to rob. Their introductions are something that has to be seen in order to be truly appreciated. I'm not even going to attempt to do so in this podcast, so watch the movie. That's something I'll leave entirely up to you. Trust me, it's, it's worth it. Of the three, Bean is the one that's the most dangerous. He's very cunning. He's the one that takes the lead when the trio discover that some of their stock has gone missing. The scene where they meet up to discuss what they're going to do with their fox problem? That has no business being in a kid's movie. It's a very ominous meeting, and I love that it was crafted in such a manner. They decide that they're going to wait outside the foxhole and shoot Foxy when he comes out. And that's exactly what they end up doing, with one of them successfully shooting Foxy's tail off. I'm pretty sure it was Bean who did this, because he then proceeds to wear the foxtail as a tie for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's very funny. With their home now compromised, Foxy and his family, Christofferson included, must dig down to escape the farmers who are in it for the long haul. They eventually end up destroying the tree, blasting the site to smithereens and having a hell of a time while doing so. As far as villains go in a children's story, they're pretty standard. There's nothing that really makes them stand out. One could say that their attack on Foxy is justified, as Foxy did steal from them first. But they also know that Foxy's sentient, so the way they go about it seems a bit like overkill. They could have sued Foxy, and more than likely would have won. And before you ask yourself how can three human farmers take a fox to court and win, keep in mind it's a Wes Anderson movie, it's a story by Roald Dahl, and the farmers wanted Foxy to surrender, so that's an option. Definitely. As I said before, now the Fox family is in real trouble. The tree is gone, and the farmers aren't just looking to attack their home. They have accidentally, or perhaps intentionally, destroyed the homes of the other animals. This is apparent to us when we see the Fox family run into the other animals after they have dug down to escape their captors. We see that they've all lost their homes, and they have nowhere to go. Felicity confronts Fox about his lie, and what's become of them as a result, and it's a scene that I feel doesn't last long enough. When questioned as to what could have possibly possessed him to do this, his only response is, 
that he's a wild animal. And this is what wild animals do. We see that there are very real consequences to Foxy's actions. Ash and Christofferson also come to terms with the hostility that's grown within them. But oddly enough, Christofferson still comes to Ash's defense when threatened by one of the teenage beavers, an act that doesn't go unnoticed by Ash. Foxy decides to double down on his actions in order to help himself, his family, and the rest of the animals. They break into the farmer's compounds again and steal everything, which is more than enough to sustain them all. When the farmers find out about this, they decide to flush the entire system of tunnels with cider. Again, consequences. It's only at the lowest point of his life that Foxy realizes that he can't be a wild animal anymore. And in one of the most stunning sequences of this entire movie, we see this very private, very tender scene between Foxy and Felicity, where the two regret the choices they've made. Foxy tells Felicity that he has to be the quote-unquote fantastic Mr. Fox and that he can't be anything else. But he realizes he's wrong. The attitude, the panache, it's all gone. And we're just left with a man who has to change the error of his ways. Felicity's words hurt him. He's disappointed her. He's failed himself. Despite her words, she does not leave him. She stands by him. She supports him. Ash apologizes to Christofferson, eventually, recognizes his abilities, and even goes as far as to learn from him. Foxy talks to Ash, in another tender scene between father and son, and we see that there's something quite fantastic about being different. There's other little details that seem to escape me at the moment, and that's how good this kids movie is. It has all those wonderful little details that I'm always talking about. It's worth the rewatch, so if you've seen it before, watch it again. Moving on, I wanted to talk about some of the scenes and ideas that stand out for me whenever I watch it, so let's get a little sporadic. I'm not going to mention them all, but I'll try to talk about some of my favorite ones, as well as some of the smaller moments that might get overlooked. First and foremost, the scene at the beginning that's one way to get your audience invested. The stop motion animation, the details, the long take, that was very impressive and I'm sure it took a long time to do it. Immediately you know that this movie is different. The tree has a really good view of Boggus, Bunsen, Bean and this triggers something in Fox that's always been one of my favorite scenes, the moment where the tree, uh, you can see the whole valley and then there's a train that goes through it, the valley, cuts the valley, and you see the farms in the distance. Another thing, beagles love blueberries, apparently. I mean, I'm not going to try it with my dog. Not that I have one, but I wouldn't try it with a dog. But according to this movie, that's, that's a fact. Something that we should all know. When they go to steal the cider, that's where we meet Rat. And Rat is voiced by Willem Dafoe. It just comes to, like show that the casting was great all around. I mean, Rat is Willem Dafoe. I've always loved that little detail. It just fits him so well. It's also when Rat talks to them that he says that Felicity was the town tart. I looked that up and I don't know what that means. Does that mean that she was 
pretty? Does that mean that she was loose? I don't know. Different people describe, um, define the word differently. So I'm not really sure. But I've always thought that was um, a funny insult. Uh, the sequence where they escape down, that's also great. It's always one of my favorite scenes. Um, when they tell Bean that Foxy has escaped and then he destroys the trailer. That little moment where Christopherson is gone and you see Agnes just being sad for him. That's such a such a small scene that sometimes, at least on my first couple of views, I didn't even realize that Agnes is down there in the corner. But she is. It's a great scene. Um, one of the Badgers has a Rolex because they're lawyers. That always made me laugh. I didn't really catch it the first time as a kid. And even when I got older, I didn't appreciate it until I started to buy watches myself. And I'm like, oh, that, that Badger has a Rolex. That's, that's funny. And the fire effects in the animation, that must have taken forever. I always like to point those out. And Fox's newspaper, his um, column is called Fox on the Prowl. And one of these days, I'm just going to stop it. And I actually want to read it. I want to see what Fox talks about. So there's a lot of other little details, but those are always the ones that stand out for me. As for what this movie made me feel, it's really a whirlwind of emotions. There's moments of joy, of sadness, of awe, of wonder, of reflection, and it's all done expertly. For a kid's movie, there's no weird pacing issues, and it cycles through all those emotions I just mentioned with no hesitation. It doesn't stumble. So let's talk about a few moments that resonated with me on a more emotional level. Ash is so Ash. He's unique in a way only teenagers can be. He's very endearing and you like him and root for him almost immediately. And like I said before, I'm sure that more than one of us felt exactly like Ash when we were growing up. Another little thing, the way they eat the food, man. <laughs> That's just great. Like, they talk like people, but as soon as they start eating, you definitely, you're reminded that they're wild animals. I'm sure the actors had a lot of fun recording that. They had to, because that comes from them. That's them eating that way. Um, Foxy's argument with Beaver and their exchange, <laughs> the, the way the camera pans around them as they're, they're arguing, and then they calm down, and Beaver's like, my advice is just don't do it, man. Don't buy this house. Don't buy this tree. And Foxy says that he understands it, but he doesn't care. That, that, that always brings a smile to my face. The landscapes, Felicity's landscapes with the thunderstorms in them. Like I said, I don't know what they mean. I wonder if they mean that she's sad. I wonder if they mean that she's happy. Is it just her way of affecting her world, leaving a mark? I don't know. I don't know, you guys tell me. Um, when Christopherson starts to cry, I've talked about that already, and then Ash gets down and he turns on the train. That's a nice gesture. I don't know if it is, because the context seems to entail that Ash just didn't want to hear Christopherson cry. Maybe he just wanted to make him feel better. I don't know. I'm not sure yet on that. <laughs> 
when they're at school and then Ash and Agnes are they're interacting. He's like, you're supposed to be my lab partner. And she's like, I am. No, you're not. You're disloyal. <laughs> That's such a small little scene. It lasts like all of a minute. And it's such uh, how how do I describe it? It's such great little banter. Like they paid attention to all the little details in this movie and the conversations between the kids didn't have to be this good and yet they are. Also another little thing that actually bugged me the last time I saw this movie. Not not a, a criticism or anything. It's just a question. Are the chickens sentient? Do they talk to all the other all the other animals talk? All the other animals talk. They're all sentient. So are the chickens sentient too? I don't know. Uh, they never talk in the movie, so we just assume that they're not. But I don't know. I don't know. That's just something to think about. The rules of whack bat. <laughs> That's got to be like a play on baseball, right? Uh, you do this, then you run here, then you set this ball on fire, then they multiply it by three. I can watch it a million times and not understand it. I know that's like a like a play on baseball but you know from me to you from someone who loves baseball like i am and maybe you don't like it you don't understand it let me tell you right now baseball is a lot more simple than whack bat earlier i said that when bogus bunsen being meat it's a very ominous scene and it's a little scary for little kids but it, it just always makes me laugh because being wants to kill Foxy, so he pulls out a Luger and he shoots out all the lights. And I find it hilarious that they went out of their way to model that thing as a Luger, because that's what it is, and then he shoots all the lights in another long take. And it's hilarious, but it just always bugs me because if I was working for Bean, that's my job, that's what I gotta do in the mornings because my crazy boss decided to shoot them all out. So again, hilarious, but just always just itches at me a little bit because of that. Um, there's something quite fantastic about being different. That's one of the messages of this movie and they tell us again and again. And that always makes me feel wholesome. That's why I wanted to include that in this port. Um, when Bogus Bunsen and Bean are hunting down Foxy and his family. They employ a bunch of men in order to do it. And one of the ones that stands out the most is Petey. And there's a great scene in this movie where Petey and some of the other workers are around the campfire. And he pulls out a banjo and Petey starts to sing. And his song doesn't really make sense. It's still a great song, even if Bean doesn't think so. And having seen this movie enough times... I barely caught on that Petey's a bard. He's singing about Fox's escapades. I just realized that. That might be why Bean doesn't like it, because that's what bards do. Later on in the movie, there's another small scene between the teenagers where Ash dismisses Agnes and then immediately feels bad about it. He questions Christofferson, tells him, they say you're a natural, true or false. Christopherson says, yeah, I guess. And then they talk a little bit about what Ash did to Agnes. Ash says that he'll make it up later. And that's when he basically asks Christopherson for help. And again, another small scene with these three that is just great all around. I've always enjoyed it. Even when I was smaller, I realized how intricate that had to be to write something that wholesome. When 
Foxy and company steal all the food from the farmers and they throw that big banquet. Badger wants to make a toast and Foxy just steals the show. He's he's a bit of a jerk too, you know? He, he behaves a little bit like Ash does when he does that. You can tell that Badger's kind of sad about it, but doesn't say anything about it. And it's never bugged me before, but the last time I saw it, it kind of did bug me. Because I'm like, I kind of wanted to hear what Badger had to say, not what you have to say. But I feel like it's all in jest. He's not being mean. It's it's all funny. It's supposed to be funny. Um, That's just me being overly sensitive, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, When they get flushed down, that sewer scene, that's a really great scene. And it's uh, great. I, I really like it. That's one of my favorite scenes. You can see that behind the attitude and behind the persona that Foxy portrays to the rest of the world, he cares about what other people think. He wants people to see him the way he sees himself. And because of the conversation that he had with Felicity in the sewers, well, he's let her down. You can really feel the sadness. That's a really great way to connect with your audience and just show them how Foxy feels as opposed to tell us that Foxy's feeling sad. She's a little bit hurtful though because she tells him that she shouldn't have married him. And I guess there's plenty of reasons to say that, but still, it's a little hurtful. Um, Foxy talks to the farmers, they understand him. Um, oh yeah, yeah, this, this scene. They write his letter um, they write a letter to him, like a ransom note, you know, with the letters cut out of magazines. And then when Foxy sends the same type of letter back to them, they're like, why did he write it this, uh, why did he write it this way? And everybody's like, I don't know, we did the same thing. No one questions it. <laughs> so it's common in this world, but it's such a bizarre scene that both the farmers and Foxy did this. So... I've always enjoyed it. It's always one of my favorite gags from the movie is, is how they write the ransom letters. Um, at the end of the movie, Felicity's pregnant again. Foxy ends the movie with another toast. Yay, a toast and a dance. And I got to get the name of that song down. That's a really great song. Overall, Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of those movies that will age gracefully. It's one of those movies that's already getting recognized for what it truly is masterpiece it's apparent that it was made with love and affection it's a wonderful story with a simple message there really is something quite fantastic about being different and we should embrace it and not run away from it fantastic mr fox will mean something different to us all every time we watch it you will enjoy it when you're younger you'll relate to it when you're older you'll understand it when you've grown how many works of art can you say that about? How many pieces of fiction? How many children's movies? It's a pretty small list. For this section, I wrote that Fantastic Mr. Fox is an overlooked masterpiece. And I still believe that. But it won't be for too long. It will find its rightful place among our shared cultural experience. People will recognize it for what a lot of us see it as it's a masterpiece it's a great movie i i can go on and on but i feel i've made my point i didn't think such a movie would end up captivating me the way this movie did the first time i watched it i didn't think i could say so much about it 
I didn't think I could find so much to say about it. And at the end of it all, I still feel I lack the words to truly convey to you its charm. I'm not a poet. I'm just a guy who wants to tell you a story about a story. I guess at the end of it all, it's one of those you have to see it to understand the things. Maybe I'm looking too much into it. That's entirely possible too. Maybe. Maybe not. And with all that said, I think our time wandering has come to an end. Don't fret though, I'm sure our paths will cross again. I want to thank the whole lot of you for making such a journey with me. To take the time out of your day and wander with us. It means the world to us, and I hope that, at the very least, it's entertaining. If you want more, go ahead and listen to our previous episodes. All our content is available for free. One day I may decide to record some premium content, and then maybe I'll charge for it. Maybe, we don't know that. Till then, take care of yourselves, my fellow travelers, and beware the wasteland. <laughs>